Good to see all of you this morning. First Thessalonians chapter 2, the book of First Thessalonians chapter 2. While you're finding that in your Bibles, I just want to make a comment about last Sunday. I want to thank you all and commend you all for the way you volunteered uh, in serving the Lord last week. Uh, Crystal had so much help and it just made it so nice in the children's ministry uh, to have so many volunteers and then to have so many people willing to serve in the in the potluck area with the setting up with the tearing down and all the food that was brought it was just it just made the day just so nice so I want to thank you for being a, a church filled with with servants and today we're going to talk about model service. Uh, if, if you put a banner, if you will, a summary over 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, these first three weeks we've been looking at it, it would have been uh, a model church. And what is a model church? When we get to chapter 2, Paul is going to share some of his own uh, stuff, if you will, his own life and how how the church in Thessalonica really came about. And in doing so, he's going to reveal to us the, the service of he and his companions that really made the church in Thessalonica possible. You see, this model church, this church of, of, of influence doesn't just happen. It didn't just come about. It, it was something that happened through, if you will, the blood, sweat, and tears of brothers and sisters in Christ who were willing to serve the Lord. And so Paul is going to share with us what this model service is all about. I'd like you to just follow along with me as I read the first four verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And these are going to be the verses that we explore this morning. Paul says, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, about our coming to you. It has not proven to be purposeless. But although we suffered earlier and were mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of much opposition. For the appeal we make does not come from error or impurity with deceit, but just as has been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we declare it not to please people, but God who examines our hearts." In these four verses, Paul is revealing something to us about model service, about service for the Lord. He's telling us that we need to have a selfless heart, we need to have a strong heart, and that God is going to always be scrutinizing our heart. You know how much I love alliteration, so that's what. But it does help us to remember so that's what Paul is going to share with us in these four verses today. How we need to develop a selfless heart, a strong heart, and realize that God is going to continually scrutinize our heart in serving Him. First of all, you will notice here that Paul says in verse 1, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, about our coming to you. The word coming speaks about entering through a door of opportunity. It's talking about us being willing to step up and to step forward and to step out, if you will. 
The Thessalonians, this, this group of people in Thessalonica, they never invited Paul and his companions to come there. Paul and his companions took the initiative to go. They stepped up. They didn't wait for the invitation. They went. They came. And God is looking for people always who know Him and who are willing to always step forward and step out and take the initiative and go. These are the last words of Jesus to his followers before he leaves planet earth and ascends back to heaven. What's he tell them? Go into all the world. Go. In fact, in the original language, it's as you are going. In other words, from Jesus' you know, perspective, we should always be continually going. We shouldn't be waiting on invitations We should be entering through the doors of opportunity that are right there, that are always in front of us, and we should be stepping up and stepping forward to serve the Lord. That's the selflessness and and the sensitivity of the kind of heart that God wants to develop in us. What does God want you to step up and step forward to do? What does God want you to start going or continue going? What door of opportunity does God want you to enter through? This is what Paul is revealing to the Thessalonians. So often we as Christians sit and we wait for a formal invitation. As I said, do you think any of those people in Thessalonica, uh, in Thessalonica wrote Paul and said, hey, would you guys come here and establish a church? They didn't even know God. There weren't any Christians in Thessalonica. They didn't even know God. They weren't going to send Paul an invitation. Paul and his companions had to be willing to just get up and go. And you and I just need to be willing to get up, step forward, step out, and go. Enter through those doors of opportunity that God is already placing before you. Don't wait for some, you know, light in the sky to light up and and point in a certain direction and say, well, that's what you should be doing. If you see the opportunity, do it. Go, get up, step forward, step out. This is what model service is all about. And you will notice also at the end of verse 1 that Paul says that our coming to you has not proven to be purposeless. It means empty, fruitless, ineffective. But that's that's not why Paul and his companions went to Thessalonica. They didn't know how it was going to turn out. But that's not the basis for us going. That's not the basis through us entering in doors of opportunity that God gives us. Is well, if we, if we run all this out and we calculate that, that the results are going to be what we want, then we'll serve the Lord and we'll step out. God's service in God's kingdom doesn't work that way. Because God never holds us personally responsible for the results. 
That, that's not on us. All God asks us to do is to just get up, step up, step out, go through the doors of opportunity, regardless of what the results are. Now, Paul is certainly thrilled that when he and his companions went to Thessalonica, that the Thessalonians so embraced the gospel that God transformed their lives. And this little band of believers in Thessalonica became a model church. But Paul had no guarantee. He had no guarantees. It's always risky, if you will, to serve the Lord, but we've got to realize that God never holds us responsible for the results of our service. All he asks of us is to be faithful, to enter through those doors of opportunity he gives us and proclaim who we are in Christ and who Christ is and to serve others regardless of the results, regardless of whether we're appreciated, regardless of other people notice, regardless of disregarding all of that, we just do what God calls us to If, like Paul and his companions, if there's fruit, if people respond in a positive way, that's just as we say, icing on the cake. But that's not what it's about. That's not to be the basis of our stepping out and stepping up. I use this illustration simply because I think it might be the most powerful one in all of Scripture. And that is when you think about this, I always go back to Noah. Noah is commended by God in the Bible for his service. And yet when you think about, well, how many people did Noah get to respond to his preaching after 120 years to get on that ark with him? No one except his own family. Did God say to Noah, Noah, you are a failure because you couldn't get so many people in this world to get on that ark with you. No. In fact, God said, Noah, you're my man. You were faithful. You did what I asked you to do. And it wasn't about the results. It wasn't about how many bodies he got on the ark. It was simply about being obedient to the word of God to him. Noah, build an ark. Prepare this boat because judgment is coming. And if others don't listen to you, if they don't listen to your preaching, if they don't get on the ark, I'm not ever going to hold that against you. What I'm looking for is simply those who are willing to be obedient to what I'm asking them to do. That's being a servant. And that's what Paul did. Again, it was great that they responded the way they did, but that's not the basis for us stepping up and stepping out. We simply are to always be going. We are to be going through and entering through those doors of opportunity that God gives us. And making him known in every place we go. And building up the body of Christ and encouraging one another. And serving one another. Then verse 2. Paul sort of then shares out of his own experience, not just the selflessness that's involved in serving the Lord, but the strength that needs to be in our lives if we are to serve the Lord. Notice what Paul says. He says, although we suffered earlier, it means to undergo severe hardship. He says, and we were mistreated in Philippi. Well, that's an understatement. 
By the way, the word mistreated here means to be abused. It means to have inflicted undeserved harm. Paul said, you know, in Thessalonica, you know how we suffered and were mistreated in Philippi. And yet he says, in spite of that, we came to Thessalonica. Now, just for a second, since many of us might not have that right at the top of our minds and memory, let me just take you back to what happened in Philippi with Paul and his companions. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 16, if you would like. But basically, it it can be boiled down to this. There was such hatred against Paul and his companions in Philippi that it got to the level that before they could get out of Philippi, Paul and his companions were stripped naked and beaten with rods in the public square in Philippi. So not only was their suffering painful, it was humiliating. They were stripped naked and they were beaten with rods in the public square in Philippi. Now, after that, many Christians would have been like, well, I ain't putting myself out there anymore. The last thing I'm going to do is go to Thessalonica or anywhere. Again, not even knowing how I'm going to be received. We're going to crawl back into our shell and back into our cave. And we're going to retreat. And we're going to pull back. And we're going to withdraw. And we're not going to put ourselves out there anymore. And that's the way many Christians... That's the way we serve. Because we're not strong enough in the Lord to keep putting ourselves out there and being criticized and abused and talked about and all this. So the minute we receive any kind of negativity about our service, what do we do? We go back. But notice what Paul says. Paul says to the Thessalonians, you know how we were treated in Philippi. And yet he goes on to say, we had the courage in our God to come to you and proclaim the gospel. In spite of all the opposition. Paul's saying, we weren't weak. We were strong in our God. Because in order to serve the Lord, in order to exemplify model service... God is looking for people who are strong in Him. He doesn't expect us to be strong in and of ourselves, because we'll never be that strong. But He does expect us to find our strength in Him. Paul here is using language that speaks about being conscious of and, and aware of, if you will, The strength that he found and his companions found in fellowship with their God. And Paul says it was because we were walking with God. We were in fellowship with God. Something we're talking about on Wednesday nights. And it was through that that intimate, close connection we maintained with our God. It was through our fellowship with God that we had the courage We had the strength to do it. God is not just looking for selfless servants. He's looking for strong servants. Because if we're truly going to serve the Lord, 
You can't be weak. You cannot be weak and sustain service for God. You and I, if we're going to be servants of the Lord and and do what the Lord calls us to do in the way God calls us to do it, we have got to be strong. Or else we'll just quit. We'll just retreat. We'll pull back. We'll withdraw. Because we don't want to face any opposition. We don't want to face any criticism. We, we don't want to face anybody questioning anything. So we'll just stop putting ourselves out there. And that's the way many Christians serve. Or not serve. Where God is teaching us. I'm looking, I'm looking for some folks who are willing to be strong in me. Who are willing, like Paul and his companions, to put themselves out there for Jesus Christ and to serve others in spite of the opposition. Which, by the way, this word for opposition, it's translated that in our English Bibles, is the Greek word where we get our word agony from. In spite of the agony. How many Christians do you you know? It's like, yeah, I'm serving the Lord, but it's agonizing. I'm serving the Lord, but it's, it's a struggle. I'm serving the Lord, but I feel like I'm in a battle. I'm, I'm, I'm contesting. That's what the word means. And so often today, because we do not have the spiritual strength that God wants to, you know, give us through him. And we're not as strong as we should be. As soon as there's any contesting, as soon as there's any kind of struggle, as soon as there's any kind of opposition or resistance, we quit. We quit. And I want to encourage you today, don't quit. Don't quit. Ask God to give you as I ask God to give me the strength that we need for this journey. The psalmist writes, How blessed is the one who finds his strength in you, God. He goes on to say, Seek the Lord and the strength that he gives. Psalm 105, verse 4. In Second Chronicles, Samuel writes, Certainly the Lord watches over all the earth and is ready to strengthen those who are devoted to Him. God wants to make us strong because we need to be strong if we're going to serve Him. All of you are familiar with this saying. It's not the size of the dog in the fight. It's the size of the fight in the dog. And folks... Some of you have maybe lost your fight. God wants to give you that fight back. Because if you and I are going to serve the Lord, we need to be strong. We need to have that fight put in us from God. That's why Paul told Timothy, a young pastor who was discouraged and and despairing and ready to give up and just quit ministry and get out of the ministry. He says, fight the good fight. 1 Timothy 1.18. 
The word fight there literally speaks about having the mindset that as a Christian, I am always a soldier on active duty. There are too many Christians today using military language who are AWOL. They are not living their Christian life as a soldier on active duty. They are absent without leave. They're not stepping up and stepping out. They've retreated. They pulled back. They've withdrawn. Because first of all, it's about them. And folks, if it's about us rather than about others, we won't serve too long. And another reason we see this retreat is because we're not being strengthened in the Lord. We're trying to do our service for God in our strength. And then we expect to serve God without any opposition, without any resistance, any battle, any contesting, any struggles. Paul says just the opposite. He said, we were willing to come to Thessalonica And share with you and declare to you, notice verse 2, the gospel of God in spite of much opposition. In spite of the agony we were going through. And again, let me remind you, this was after Paul and his companions were stripped naked and beaten with rods in Philippi in the public square. Paul's basically saying, how much does it take to get us to quit? Paul says, we didn't quit. No matter how tough it got, no matter how much opposition, no matter what we went through, we had the courage in our God. Oh, that God, that we would cry out to God as his church and say, God, make us strong in you. Give us courage in you. No matter what we face, God, let us be faithful servants. That's what God's looking for. Selfless servants, strong servants. Paul then says in verse 3, when we came to you, our message was pure in its content and in its intent. He says, we shared this appeal and it did not come from error. It did not depart from what God said. We stuck to God's word. And it did not come with any kind of impurity with deceit. There wasn't any kind of trickery or or bait and switch or treachery involved in the intent of what we said. We weren't trying to manipulate you in any way. We're going to talk more about that next week. And then Paul says this in verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we declare it not to please people, but God who examines our hearts. I want to first have us look at this. The phrase, not to please people, but God. If you and I are going to serve the Lord then it should never be about winning the approval of or satisfying people. Too many of us are trying to serve the Lord and please people. And and a lot of times, 
That's, you can't balance the two. You, you can't have the two at the same time. Now, sometimes, sometimes you can please God and be pleasing people. But always, always as a servant of the Lord, it should be, I should be concerned about pleasing God first above anyone and everything else. And then if it pleases others, fine. If it satisfies them, fine. If I win the approval of others, fine. But if it doesn't, oh well. We are not called to be God's servants to please people and to satisfy people. We are called to be God's servants to please Him. We live for an audience of one. One day when you and I get to eternity as Christians, it's not going to really matter how many people were pleased with us, but was God pleased? Because one day all we're going to care about is hearing, well done thou good and faithful servant. When we get to that day, it's not going to be how many people like this. And too often, we get caught up in trying to satisfy everyone else. That leads to distracted hearts. God wants our hearts to be focused. Focused on Him. Which is why, then, Paul says in verse 4 and mentions this, it's why God scrutinizes our hearts as his servants. In verse 4, the word approved, it's translated there in the Net Bible earlier on in verse 4, and then the word examines at the end of verse 4 are both the same Greek word, just translated differently in that verse. Approved and examined. But basically it means this. God will put the hearts of his servants to the test. He will scrutinize our hearts. Why, Paul says? Because he wants to entrust us with spiritual riches. But God isn't just going to entrust spiritual riches to anybody. So God puts the servants' hearts to test to see, can I commit these spiritual treasures to them? Are they going to be responsible for this? Because God isn't just going to give us a place or position of service without first putting us to the test. We have to prove ourselves faithful to God. Then God will give us greater spiritual responsibility. We have it so messed up in the church today. We have Christians who who come into a church or even in their outside of church because they think somehow they can serve God without being faithful to the local church, which isn't biblical. But anyway, that's a whole other message. All they focus on is, is, is a position and a place of service. And what God's word teaches is you and I as Christians, as children of God, we'll never have to worry about a position or a place of service. If our heart is right before God, God will make sure we have a position and place of service. He will give it to us. We don't have to fight for it. We don't have to scratch and claw for it. We don't have to manipulate. We don't have to try to create something for ourselves. If we trust God in our salvation, then let's trust Him in our service. All we have to do is focus our hearts on Him and make sure that our heart's in the right place and God will make sure He has a place and position of service for you and for me. 
And Paul said, we were approved by God to be entrusted with what we were given. We were put to the test. God wanted to make sure that we could be responsible with what he was giving us. Jesus talked about this a lot. Remember to his own followers, he says, listen, folks. If you can't manage worldly wealth, if you can't manage material things, he said to his followers, how do you expect my father to give you real riches to manage? See, from, from God's perspective, real riches, true riches, aren't anything physical or material. It's the spiritual riches God wants to entrust to us in serving him. But Jesus said, my father won't give you much to manage spiritually if he looks at your life and you can't even handle material, physical things. That's part of our proving ground. That's part of, our, of God putting us to the test as his children to see how responsible we are. Which is why then Jesus goes on to say in many parables, if you and I can be faithful in the little things, then God will give us more. And again, we won't have to worry about it. God will make sure it happens. Because God's looking for model servants. For servants who are selfless and who are strong in him. Just like Paul and his companions who came into that town of Thessalonica not knowing how they would be received. For all they knew, they could have walked into that town and the same thing was going to happen to them in Thessalonica that happened to them in Philippi. They'd be stripped naked and beaten with rods and yet they walked into that town anyway. Because again, they weren't walking into that town and they weren't stepping up and stepping forward and going to please people. They knew it was what God laid on their heart to do. And they were going to go regardless of the response. Some of you may be thinking, "This this is good stuff, Jeff, but how does this fit in with communion? Well, is not Jesus the model servant? (laughs) Did not Jesus say, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many? I mean, it's great that we have examples, fellow Christians like Paul and, and his companions that we can look to. That's great. But the ultimate example of, of what a servant is all about is Jesus Christ. And when you and I examine the life of Jesus Christ, we see a selflessness beyond compare. We see a willingness to sacrifice for others beyond our imagination. And we see a strength. And Jesus is saying, follow me. God didn't just save us to be saved. He saved us to serve. And one day the Bible says we're going to give an account of our service, our life of service as a follower of Jesus Christ to him. What's that mean to you today? 
What's that mean to me today? How does God right now in your life, right now, how does he want you and me to serve him? Following the ultimate example of service. Is there something I need to be willing to step up and step out and do and get going instead of sitting, waiting on an invitation? Is there a door of opportunity I need to enter through just like Paul and his companions? And if I retreated lately in my service because I got criticized when I put myself out there or somebody complained about something or griped about something, because folks, even though we shouldn't do that with one another, it's going to happen. If I got into ministry as a pastor and said, well, I'll pastor as long as everybody likes me, I'd have quit probably about 31 years ago. I love what Paul said. Now, in spite of what happened to me in Philippi and what happened to my companions, we had the courage in our God to set foot in Thessalonica and share with you the gospel in spite of much opposition. How much fight is left in that dog? Do you need to ask God today, God, give me that fight back? I'm losing my fight. I'm not as strong as I should be. I'm getting weak. I need to get back into fellowship with you and with your people. I need to get strong again so that I can put myself out there and serve you in the way that you should be served. Realizing again all the time that God is going to check our hearts out. He knows. He knows whether our heart is focused on Him And we truly have a selfless, strong heart or whether our heart is distracted by all these worldly things and that we're not giving him or his kingdom the priority it should. He knows. And he continually and constantly throughout our life examines our hearts. Where's our heart at today? What kind of heart do we have before God? Because God will scrutinize our hearts. He wants to see if, if we're ready at this point in our life for him to entrust to us even more spiritual riches to manage. And the reason why I know God led me to begin this series of messages when he did in the history of our church is because I believe God is getting ready, not just with this physical move, but even before that, He wants to entrust to the Oasis body more spiritual riches to manage. But we need to make sure as a corporate body of believers that our hearts are in the right place to receive such a privilege from God. And so we need to get our hearts right and align our hearts with His. Let's pray. As our worship team is coming to get in place and as our communion team is coming to get in place, in just a moment we're going to rise and we're going to sing this song and we're going to be dismissed to go back and and get the elements of communion today. And as we approach this table today, I want us today to, to not just focus on 
our salvation and our Savior and what He came to do for us in that respect. But I want us to walk up to that table thinking about Him as the ultimate servant. And when we walk up to that table and we grab the the bread that symbolizes His body and the cup that symbolizes His blood, I would like us to be open to God speaking to us about our service. About being His servant and following Him. For even in His sacrificial death, and all that Jesus did leading up to that, it was all about serving others, never Himself. Jesus Christ is the epitome of selfless sacrifice and strength. And Jesus is calling on us, His followers, to follow right behind Him in that respect. Where's our service? What are we doing right now in our lives to truly serve the Lord? Maybe as we sang earlier today, the open hand song that we need to lay down some things in order to pick up what God wants to give us into our hands. Whatever that looks like, as we approach this table today, may we think about it in regards to service. Thank you, God, for serving, for leaving us an example for us to follow. And we thank you for for people like Paul and his fellow companions who suffered more than we could ever imagine right now as Christians. And yet they never quit. They never threw in the towel. They never stopped going and doing what God wanted them to do. They always found their courage in God. They always found that fight to keep doing battle, to keep entering into the arena every day for you, God. May we here at the Oasis have that same fight and that same heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.